Good morning, guys. How are y'all doing? I'm excited to say it's 2021, right? How many people are excited to say it's 2021? <laughs> we survived 2020. Uh, 2020 was a tough year, right? It was a, a year of change, right? It, if any change could happen, it happened in 2020. Uh, I think, you know, the world around us is going through this big pandemic, but for us, I think there was even more change than that. We had a couple of floods. We had hurricanes. We had plant explosions. Uh, you know, with the whole COVID thing, we had to learn to socialize with each other. We had to learn to social distance. I was kidding with Brandy the other day. I said, I've gotten really good at measuring six feet. Like I can walk up to somebody and say, that's six feet. We, we're good. I, I got that. Uh, we've had to try to communicate with people with masks on, sometimes through plexiglass. And those are changes that we've had to adapt to. And it's not been easy, right? If I were to say, how many people like change? Anybody? Anyone? <laughs> Nobody really likes change. We're creatures of habit. We like the way things are, and we don't want to change it. So today we're going to dig in to Mark chapter 2. If you want to turn there and put your finger there, I'll have the scripture up here. But uh, if you want to have uh, that for reference, you can. And we're going to dig into what kind of changes were going on during Jesus' time, even though Jesus was the one in, in, in most of these cases implementing this change. And we're going to look at how the people of the time reacted to those changes. And hopefully we can glean something from that on how we should react to change when it, when it comes our way. I think for me, one of the biggest areas of change was when I went off to college. I, my first two years was East Texas Baptist University and then came back and finished at Lamar. But when I went off to school, I was almost panicking. It's like, okay, I'm, 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 I've got to be an adult now. I've got to make decisions on my own. I've got to try to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. I've got to figure out what my major is when I grow up. And for me, that was tough. I changed my major six times before I finally graduated. So, uh, but I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, man, all these, all these changes are tough. What, 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 how do we handle this? And ultimately, his, his biggest direction was, was give it to God, which ultimately, I, that, that's it. You got to give it to God. But he also recommended this book. The book's entitled, Who Moved My Cheese? And it's a simple read. It's a secular book, but it's very applicable to your life if you're, if you're struggling with change. And it really is just a little, uh, almost like a parable about two little people and two little mice that are in an experiment. They're in a maze, and you've seen the mazes where they'll set the cheese up on one end, they'll let the mouse go, and the mouse has to try to get to the cheese. Well, in this experiment, they actually start moving the cheese. And the book really documents how uh, different people react differently to change because we all react differently. You know, sometimes when change comes our way, it paralyzes us. We can't move, we can't function because we're freaking out, Right. Other people adapt and move and, and, and can adapt better to that change. So it just really is a good book. If you ever get a chance to read it, and I'm going to come back to it and, and share some points from the book at the end, but I really want to dive into um, what change is. And um, there are two types of change. First of all, there's invited change and inflicted change, okay? So I, I said that nobody likes change. Some people do like some types of change, right? Right. So like, for example, invited change is exciting. That's change that we invite into our life. That's change that we want to happen in our life. An example of that is as children, we go to school to prepare for adulthood, right? And I remember that first day of kindergarten, they're watching my kids go there. They're so excited. Yes, I get to start kindergarten today. And then as you finish kindergarten, you're like, I want to go to elementary school. I want to go to middle school. I want to go to high school. You're excited about those things. It's change, but you're excited about it. So you prepare for it. What about when a young married couple gets pregnant and uh, you go to those Lamaze classes, right? Because you're excited about it. You want to prepare for it. You learn how to breathe and then you get in the situation and, and you're trying to help your spouse. Okay, I think they said breathe like this. 
And she's like, no, that's not it. That's not it. And, and then you throw it out the door and you just, you do it. And, uh, excuse me, they buy books. You buy books to figure out what's going on with your baby while you're pregnant and what to do after it's born. I mean, I remember laughing. We have books that, okay, right now my baby's a peanut. And then two months from now, it's going to be a banana. Then it's going to be a, 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 a peach or whatever it is. And, and those things are exciting. Those are changes that we invite into our life. During our working years, we, we develop our skill sets. We continue our education. Why? Because we want to better ourselves. We want to potentially apply for uh, a promotion. Or maybe you're in your job, you're unhappy, and you see another job out there that, that, that you feel like you'd be happy with. So you begin to learn that skill set so that you can have that opportunity to get that job. Those are changes, right? But they're invited change. They're changes that we're excited about. Once you get to your middle ages, you've got to start learning about planning and preparing for retirement, right? Uh, because it comes whether you want to or not. But that's one of those things that's exciting, right? I mean, from my first day of working, it's like, oh, I can't wait till I retire. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm going to do so many things when I retire, right? It's all about, about living for retirement. And by the way, I said middle-aged people, but if you're in your 20s or younger, start, start planning now. Don't wait. That's just a little plug from Dave Ramsey. That's a whole separate lesson in and of itself. But uh, it's invited change. When we move into a new area, I don't know how many of you guys have moved in your life. We've moved several times. I've always ended up back in Port Natchez. But when you move, you start digging in and doing research on the areas. You want to find out what churches are there. You want to find out what activities are there. You look at the neighborhoods and, and, and the people that are there. You look in the schools to determine, you know, how are their test scores, right? How many of you have been there? It, it, it's, it's things you do because you're excited about. It's change, but it's an exciting change. It's an invited change. On the flip side of that, this is the change we don't like, right? It's inflicted change. It's change that's forced on us. For us this year, I, I could, what, two hurricanes, two floods, an explosion that blew your front doors off, right? Those are, those are nothing that any of us wanted. It's, it's, it's not anything we want, but it's something that was inflicted, inflicted on us. And it was, it was a change that we have to deal with. Regardless of the, whether we want it or not, it happened, right? You can't take it back. You just have to adapt and you have to deal with it. What about when an opposing political party uh, gets elected and they start implementing laws that may be against your ethical standards or beliefs? What do you do? That's change. You may not like it, but it's something that's inflicted on you. It's something you've got to adapt to. It's something you've got to change to. What about when technology in your, in your work moves beyond your knowledge, beyond your skill set, and you lose your job? What do you do? You adapt. You've got to change. What about when a pastor or an elder body comes and introduces practices in a church that, that's never been done before uh, without asking the congregation. Um, I've been in churches for, for a lot, for a long time, and I've actually worked in churches. And I've seen little things as small as like, we're going to make this carpet green, separate a church before. Why? Because we don't like change. We don't like when change is inflicted on us. But we've got to adapt. What about when a pastor you've known and loved for 10 years gets called to another ministry? You know, for us, that's something, we're so excited for Pat and his ministry. We know that he's going to do amazing things there, but that's change for us. It's something that we're not used to. It's something that we're going to have to adjust to. It's something that we're going to have to adapt to, right? What about when a country rabbi shows up and claims to forgive sin and he hangs out with sinners and he doesn't follow the rules? That's Jesus, guys. And that's the scripture we're going to talk about today. Jesus came and he claimed to forgive sins when they thought only God could. And then he comes and he wants to hang out with sinners. And he wants to hang out with tax collectors. 
He didn't follow the rules, guys. He forced, he inflicted change on people, and they didn't like it. Why? Because it was different. Change is hard. It's hard to deal with. So how do we deal with it? We're going to dive into a little bit of scripture and, and see if we can glean some, some ideas on how we're going to deal with this change. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof and above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of, them scri- now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? Is he blaspheming? Who can forgive sin but God alone? In verse 8, Immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that he thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So if you look back in Mark, Mark, Jesus had been traveling all over the region. He had been healing people and and preaching and, and spreading the word, and, and people were catching wind on, on this. And so Jesus had kind of become a rock star. So he had this crowd that was following every, everywhere he went. And scripture says that he came back to his home in Capernaum, and it says there were so many people around him and following him that, that you couldn't even get in the door because there were so many people there. And it talks about four men and, and, their, and their paralytic friend, and it says that they had, they had seen Jesus' miracles. They had seen the healings that he, that, that he could do, and, and they wanted their friend to be healed. They had the faith that if they could get their friend in front of Jesus, that Jesus could heal them, right? So I can imagine this conversation, them thinking, okay, this is our opportunity. We've got to do this. And they make the track there. They, they're carrying their friend on the bed. They get there, and just like Scripture says, they can't get in the door. There's so many people there, they can't get in the door. So what do they do? I imagine some of them were like, well... I guess we missed our chance. I guess, I guess we don't get to meet Jesus. And I, I wasn't there, so I don't know how the conversation went, but I can imagine there's one of them that says, wait, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Let's climb on the roof, right? Let's climb on the roof. Let's tear the roof off, and then we'll lower our friend down. I think if I were there, I'd have been like, are you crazy? You know, have, have you lost your mind? You want to climb on the roof and tear it down? But their faith was, faith was so strong that that's exactly what they did. They climbed up the roof. They, t- they hoisted their friend up there. They'd lowered him down, and they looked at Jesus, and they said, with faith in their hearts and minds, they said, Jesus, heal our friend. And so I, I think everybody in the crowd, including themselves, they were thinking, well, if Jesus is going to do this, the first thing that he's going to say right is, you're healed. Get up and walk. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus mixes it up. He changes things up. First thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, wait, what? I, we didn't come here to have his, his sins forgiven. We, we came here so that he can be healed. And then you hear grumbling in the crowd. That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? These are the Pharisees. These are the scribes. These are the religious elite at the time. They're thinking, this guy can't forgive sins. I, okay, maybe he can heal people, but he can't forgive sins. But I love what Jesus says next. He says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, stand up, take up your mat, and go home. 
What Jesus does here is he claims the authority of God. He said, look, guys, so that you'll believe that I have authority here on earth to forgive someone, I'm going to heal this, this paralytic. I'm going to let him walk again. And they were in shock. They're like, no, we've never seen anything like this. No, that's change. You can't inflict change on us. I don't want that, right? Now, this situation is different than some of ours, but, but sometimes that's the way we are. You're like, I can't do that. That's change. We, we, we can't go that route. No, 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 no. It's not happening. They didn't like it because it was change. And then Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw what was good, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So Jesus is walking along with the crowd. Again, he'd been traveling, like I said, all over the region. He was walking this crowd because everywhere he went, he had a crowd following, right? And I can imagine him walking and all of a sudden seeing Levi sitting. I don't know if Levi had a formal tax booth like that, but I can imagine him just seeing Levi sitting there as a tax collector. And one thing you need to know about tax collectors during the time, it's, it's kind of like our modern day IRS, right? We're not fans of the IRS and we feel like they rob us blind, right? How many feel that way? Like you're taking way too much of my money. During this time, tax collectors, at least, at least now, we have laws, we have guidelines that restrict how much they can take away from us, right? Well, back then, they took money from the government, but they also skimmed some off the top for themselves. Um, they had their own little side pockets, so basically they were stealing from people. All the tax collectors did it, and so they were despised by a lot of people. But Jesus, out of the corner of his eyes, sees Levi, this tax collector, and what's the first thing he says? Does he walk up to Levi and say, your sins are forgiven? Nope, not, not like he did the paralytic. What's he say? He says, follow me. Why, why did Jesus say, follow me? It's really because Levi was entangled in sin. Levi's job was sin. He stole from people. That's what he did. So Jesus asked him to stand up and follow me. Turn from what you're doing. Leave what you're doing behind. Change what you're doing and move in a new direction. And that's what repentance is, right? When we ask for forgiveness, it's not enough to say, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. Jesus asked, or God asked us to repent. We've got to say we're sorry, but then we've got to turn directions and we've got to walk away from it. We've got to follow him. And that's exactly what he's asking Levi to do here. And then you see that Levi's excited. He's like, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm going to pick up my, what I'm doing. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to follow this Jesus because I've seen him do amazing things. So the next thing he does is Levi throws a party at his house, right? And who does Levi invite? Levi's going to invite all of his friends who are also tax collectors, who are also sinners. And you know what? Jesus breaks all the cultural taboos of the time and he shows up at the party, right? Can you imagine Jesus showing up to the party? And the Pharisees, the religious elite of the time, are like, why does he eat with these tax collectors? Why does he, why does he hang out with these sinners? They begin to question why he, why, well, they question why he did everything he did, but they just begin to question, why is he hanging out with these people who are sinners? And 
And then I love the next part here. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call, I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So Jesus basically tells them that, look, I didn't come here to get the, the righteous, those who already know me, to follow me. I came here to get these sinners, these people who don't know me, to follow me. And to do that, I've got to meet them where they are. I've got to go where, to where they are and, and, and to, to earn their respect and, and, and get them to follow me that way. And the religious elite didn't like it, right? Because why? 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 Because it was change. It was not something that they had ever seen done, done before. You know, they were holier than all. They were righteous. They didn't hang out with sinners. So why is this Jesus coming in and doing this? It was change. Moving on, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine in an old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst the skin, and the wine is destroyed. So are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. So again, Jesus comes in and he starts breaking more cultural rules, right? And because his, his disciples don't fast like the good Jewish rabbi's disciples should. And so he gets called out on it. They say, why did John's disciples and the, and the Pharisees fast and yet your disciples don't? Again, they're calling him out because he's doing things differently than they've done in the past. And Jesus responds using three metaphors. The first one is talking about a wedding banquet. He says, the wedding guests can't fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? They'll fast when he's gone. Well, who's the bridegroom? The bridegroom is Jesus. He's saying, well, I'm here on earth. My people, my disciples don't need to fast. They need to walk with me. They need to learn from me. They need to let me disciple them. They need to disciple with me. They need to see the miracles that I'm performing. They need to walk with me. And then when I'm gone, when the bridegroom is gone, that's when they need to fast. That's when they need to pray. The next analogy, he talks about old and new clothes. He talks about a tear in your cloak. And, and you know, I'm not a, a seamstress by any means, but it makes perfect sense. He's talking about when you have a, a, a tear in your clothes, he said that material has been pre-shrunk, right? So it's not gonna shrink anymore. If you have a tear and you take a brand new patch, a brand new piece of material that hasn't been shrunk yet and you stick it on there and you sew it, and then all of a sudden you wash and dry that, what's gonna happen is that patch is gonna begin to shrink and it's gonna, be, it's gonna make the tear in your clothes even worse than it was originally. And then he talks about old and new wine. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. New wine goes into fresh wineskins. Because it's got to expand with it. If you put new wine in an old wineskin, once it starts to ferment, once it starts to expand, it's just going to explode and it's going to bust and you're not going to have any wine. So what's all this mean? Notice something in this metaphor is that Jesus does not say that we should never fast. Uh, he doesn't say that we should throw out our old clothes. He doesn't say that you should only drink uh, new wine. In fact, if you talk to wine connoisseurs, most of them will tell you that the, the newer wine or older wine is actually better. 
what Jesus is saying is that we've got to adapt. What he's saying is, is that new things can't be placed into an old system. You can't take a new piece of material and place it into a cloth that's already been pre-shrunk. You can't take new wine and, and, and place it into an old wineskin because it's going to bust. What kind of situations do you have in your life where change is happening and you're trying to force that new system into the old system? It doesn't work. Jesus says, we've got to change. We've got to adapt. We've got to roll with the punches. Sometimes we don't like those changes, but we've got to adapt to survive. Sometimes those changes come our way and and we just get paralyzed. We're stuck. Like, I don't know what to do. Jesus says that we've got to adapt. As long as you stand here and you breathe breath, life is changing, right? I'm aging as I stand here, right? My hair is probably falling out even more, but life changes. And so if we don't adapt, the wineskins are going to bust and we're not going to have any wine. So moving back to who moved my cheese, um, I told you I'd share a couple of points with you, so let me do that now. Here's, I'm going to share three lessons about what to do when someone moves your cheese. First one, when you stop being afraid, you feel good, so face your fears. I I think about my 11-year-old. We were in Tennessee last week, and uh, for those of you who don't know, she has some anxiety issues when it comes to everything. <laughs> she, she, no, no, no flying, no elevators, no hotels, extremely afraid of heights, but she's, she's dealing with those and she's learning to, to get past those. And, and we were kind of shocked at the beginning of our vacation. We said, hey, what do you think about going zip lining? And at first she's like, yes, I want to go. And, and Brady and I both looked at each other like, really? You want to go zip lining? Really? Okay. So, so Brandy gets on while we're on her trip and she pays for the zip line. The next morning, Sophie is, she's kind of anxious and we're noticing something's going on. We're like, well, what, what's happening? And, and, and you could tell, we start talking to her and she's like, I don't know if I want a zip line. I'm kind of scared, right? I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of what's going to happen. And, and so this anxiety, and, and Brandy's not a big fan of heights either. So she had some anxiety of herself building up. So all week, they're both just kind of a nervous wreck, kind of worried and afraid of what's going to happen when we go on the zip line. And then... I love it because you see Sophie get on there. She zips across. And when I see her face on the other side, she's got the biggest smile that I've ever seen in my entire life. Why? Because she stopped being afraid. She faced her fears and it felt good, right? So I don't know what kind of change that you're going through in life, but sometimes it causes fear in us. Sometimes it paralyzes us. We've got to face that fear. We've got to adapt. We've got to change. We've got to meet it face on. Second thing, imagining yourself with new cheese leads you to it. Sometimes we're so focused on what we're leaving behind that we don't realize what we're looking for is actually just ahead of us. We get so stuck in our routines just because we're creatures of habit. We don't see that sometimes right before us, there's a much better idea. There's a much better plan that God has for us, but we've got blinders on. So be willing to look ahead. Be willing to look outside and beyond the situation that you're in and allow God to lead you to the next steps. The third one, the quicker you let go of old cheese, the sooner you can enjoy the new cheese. Adapt to change quickly. When I read the, when I, when I think of this, I think of the Pharisees, right, that were walking with Jesus, All they did when they were with Jesus the entire time is question why he did the things he was doing. They were calling him out for every little thing. And you know what? In my mind, they were so 
set on hanging on to that old cheese and the old way of doing things that they missed the opportunity to walk on this earth with Jesus, to, to walk hand in hand with Jesus and watch him to disciple people and minister to people. They missed walking hand in hand with Jesus to see him perform miracles and healings. They missed an opportunity. Why? Because they were hanging on to the, on to the old cheese. Jesus was asking us to adapt, to change, to be willing to do those things, to be willing to be molded and changed. One more quote before I wrap it up from this book, and that's, uh, that what you're afraid of is never as bad as you imagined. The fear you let build up in your mind is worse than the situation that actually exists. When I read that, I think of Sophie again, right? She had this huge idea in her head that this zip line was gonna be a horrible idea. And then once she got there, <laughs> she had this huge smile on her face. And, and I said, what'd you think? She goes, I'm ready to do the next line, right? How many times have we been in our life in a situation where we build up this fear, we build up this anxiety, we, we, we just fight this change. And then when we get through the situation, we're on the other side, we're like, that wasn't bad. Why, why did I even get stressed out about this? I've been there. I know it. I know it. 2020 certainly was and brought a lot of changes our way. And I can't say that 2021 won't. We don't know what's in store for 2021. But what I do know, guys, is that God's in control. And that's one thing that we have to remember. We have to remember that, that God is still on the throne no matter what happens. And we've got to put our faith in him. And we've got to adapt to whatever situations are thrown our way. Um, one of the situations that hit us in 2020 is, is that, that, that Pat stepped down and, and is going to a new ministry, right? And we're, we're excited for Pat. You know, God calls people here for a time. And, and Pat did an amazing thing starting this church and, and leading us to where we are. But God called him to a new ministry. And so I'm sure you guys at this point are wondering, okay, what are the next steps of Carpenter's Way? You know, it, 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 just that uncertainty, that change that we're going through. And so that's something I want to address on behalf of the elders as far as where we are in the process and, and what next steps are. So uh, as set up in the church bylaws, um, the elders are going to be the pastoral search committee. So to let you know, we actually met on December 21st and we agreed on a process. So we've got a process in place. We put it on paper, basically just the steps that we're going to go through in order to, to go through the interview process to receive resumes and, and, and all those things. Another thing we set up is uh, an application process. So if you know somebody that you know might be interested in uh, being our pastor, our lead pastor, have them go to carpentersway.com. And if you look, click on the top right, there's a, I don't know what they call them nowadays, a sandwich menu or a hamburger looking menu. If you click on that, there'll actually be a button that says pastor search. If you click on that button, it will allow them to upload their resume. Once they upload that, they're going to get an email uh, immediately saying that we've received their uh, resume and that uh, thank you for taking them, taking the time to apply. And those all go into a file. Um, we've created a file that only the elders can see that all of those are put into um, so that we have access to those. So what can you do as a church body? I know that, that you guys are probably wondering, what, what can we do to help? And the biggest thing... That, that we can say is pray, right? Pray, pray, pray. Um, so how, how do you pray? I'd say, first of all, pray for us as elders. Pray that, it, that, that we can be patient in this process because it doesn't happen overnight. God's timing sometimes is fast and sometimes it's not. So I pray that you just pray for patience with us. Pray for patience for the, for the whole church that we can go through this process. 
Um, I ask that you pray that as elders, we're able to put our personal desires, our personal wants aside um, and help us to have unity. God has already prepared somebody to lead this church to the next level. God already knows who that person is. I I just ask that you guys to to begin to pray for us that we can discern who that is. And I ask you also to pray for that individual. Um, Pray that, that, that he has a deeper passion or desire to get into God's word. Pray that he falls in love with Carpenter's Way Fellowship even before he knows what Carpenter's Way Fellowship is. Um, pray for his family. You know, when you go through changes like that, it's not always easy. So pray that they can make that transition. Pray that you give his spouse the same calling that, that he has and that, and that she's comfortable making that move. Um, and then just pray for the church. Um, this is an awesome church. It's an awesome group of people. Um, you've got an amazing, very capable staff that is willing to, to step up and, and fill in the gaps until we do have a new lead pastor. They've all stepped up. You know, every one of them, we had a meeting with them a couple of weeks ago, and they've all stepped up and said, I'll take this, I'll take that. Um, and we're working as elders with them. We're going to meet with them on a regular basis to make sure that, that uh, all the bases are going to be covered. Some of the examples of them stepping up... Uh, Jesse has assumed responsibility for the community groups, so he's setting that up, and I believe it starts in two weeks. Um, he's also coordinating the next Cornerstone class, so that's something that Pat normally does. Jesse's going to step up and, and lead that Cornerstone class. Uh, Jason is going to be coordinating Sunday services, so all the music, everything up here you see, that's, that's Jason handling that, so, so thank you for that. Um, he's also handing a crossover. He mentioned that on the 24th, 24th right? We're going to be doing a crossover, so he's heading all those things up. So I want you guys to, to feel confident in the staff that you've got right now. They really are stepping up and, and, and taking it, right? If you've got any kind of counseling needs that, that, that you have, Micah is going to be your point person for that. So just know that those bases are covered. And then you may be asking, well, so who's going to preach? Is Jason going to preach every week? No, no. <laughs> I am not going to be here every week. Uh, I, I assure you that. But Pat's been a huge help. Um, he's actually helped us to fill the pulpit for the next few months. Some of the speakers will be elders like myself. Some of the speakers are going to be staffers. I believe Jesse's filling in a couple of them. Some of them are going to be pastors from other churches that come in, right? Some of them you may have met before. Some of them you may not. Um, And one thing that we want to be clear, it's easy to assume that when a guest speaker comes up here, it's easy to assume that, oh, he's a candidate. He's a candidate. I want to assure you that people up here are not speaking as candidates, right? I'm not speaking as a candidate, and, and, and nobody up here is going to speak as a candidate. We're going to be very transparent. When there is a candidate that, that we've decided that God has called to Carpenter's Way, we will let you guys know. This person is a candidate. This is somebody that we're looking for as our next pastor, and so we'll be very transparent with that. That keeps the guessing game out of it. We are going to be as transparent as possible. Like I said, we're here to answer any kind of questions that you guys may have during this process, but one thing we're not going to share are the names of the people that are applying. And we don't do that to hide things from you guys. We do that to protect those guys' current ministries, right? Even in the secular world, if you're applying for a new job, the last thing you want to find out, you don't want your current job to find out. It just makes things awkward, and it's not good in the process. So just know that no names will be shared, and that's kept confidential between just the elders. So as far as the timeline goes, I know some of you may have freaked out when I said Pat helped us to fill the pulpit for the next few months because that sounds like a long time. Guys, we don't have a timeline. We, we can't rush God's will. We, we've got to be patient in this process. We've got to trust the process. We just want you to know that we're working diligently in the background to, to find that person that God is already preparing 
for Carpenter's Way. So before we close uh, tonight, today, this morning, look, I'm rushing, it's already nighttime. <laughs> before I close this morning, I do want to take just a second, first of all, to thank the staff, those guys that I mentioned earlier for stepping up and really helping out. But I also want to take a second to introduce those elders that are in the room. Um, that way you have a, a, a face to put with a name if you guys have any kind of questions or, or concerns ever. But really during this transition, we're here for you. So I, if, if you're an elder, please stand up. Uh, I think uh, the, there, there's only a couple of us here this morning. Some will be in the next service and some of them are quarantining right now because of our friend COVID. So uh, Eric Lang is one of your uh, elders here. You have Davis Turner in the back and then myself, Jason Roy. We also have Chatty Angus, RJ Badiong, uh, Craig Cole, and Kirby Smith. So we're all here. Anything you guys need, any questions you have, we're here to support you however we can. So let's close in a word of prayer and then we can be dismissed. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day, God. I thank you for a reset, God. I thank you that we can strive or clean each and every day. God, I, I pray that as change comes our way, God, that you help us to evolve, help us to adapt, God, but first and foremost, help us to put you first. God, as our church goes through this transition, I, I, I lift up the elders, God. I, I pray that we have unity, God. I pray that we, we, we put our own wills and desires away, God. I pray that you just help us to find just the right person that you've already called, God. I lift that person up to you now, God. I pray that you just give him a passion for the word, an even stronger passion that he has, God. I pray that you just put that calling in his heart, put that calling in his wife's heart, God, and let them be on the same page, Lord. Lord, I, I pray that we just uh, live for you in 2021. God, I ask you to just help us to put you first in everything we say and everything we do. In your sense, let me pray. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>